Good evening and welcome to the Marionette Theater. June is gay pride in many places. So tonight we're going to regale you with a little trip down memory lane to the mid-90s with one of our favorite films featuring gay history in the making. Please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Well, hello there, Mr. Smelly, and it is good to see you, sir. Hi. Hey. Hi. Good Good to be here tonight. Well, it is June, as we were saying just a moment ago behind the curtain, and I wouldn't believe it myself if it weren't for the fact that I just turned the page on the calendar. <laughs> Indeed. And, uh, you know, in a couple of weeks, uh, a little over a couple of weeks from now, we're actually changing seasons as well. So it's going. Uh, yeah, because we're not. I feel like we're in the summer, but we're not really. Not technically, but certainly we've had a preview or two. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, Hubby has been enjoying the uh, the accommodating weather. He's been getting his hands <coughs> dirty and. Uh, taking on a new hat as he's learning to do some gardening um as i've mentioned in a couple of places it's it's sort of like our grandparents video games yes aptly put because it's kind of true a lot of people go on to apps and play these little gardening games <laughs> it's kind of like substituted for the real thing but uh, if you want to get you the real thing you kind of have to have an idea of soil and uh and uh liquid and uh, anyways it's a whole new i mean it's not new it's a whole old thing of uh, understanding the earth which i understand you guys have been trying to get because your soil is apparently like the worst kind of soil ever <laughs> to plant in. Is that correct? Well, um, you know, it's it's like doing a family tree. You find out that you've got a, a checkered history. And <laughs> depending on where you dig on our property, you either hit yes. gravel or sand. And sometimes it's an in-between. Yes, you've got pebbles. <laughs> you've got all kinds of things. Anyways, I feel you. Gardening is, well, not, not often easy. Sometimes it's a, it's a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just uh, peeking over the balcony here tonight at the marionette, and it looks like we have a few folks who have already joined us. We've got our friend from the Mid-Atlantic in Maryland. We've got Aunt Tudor that's come to visit us. As Excellent. Well, as we have my dear sweet hubby Billy in the chat room. Excellent. And yours and mine, a great friend from the great white north, Mr. Tommy Hashbrowns, is. And uh, while I'm here to say, you just did an episode of Surely You Just, which is your personal journal podcast. And I listened to almost all of it the other day and then i finished it today and that's when i found the little song you guys did uh for me and uh, just tickled me it just it felt good 
I really appreciate it. So, hey there, Tommy and uh, Billy. Uh, I heard it, and uh, uh, it was very, very sweet. Uh, well, I, I know that deep down inside, you're feeling like Anne Margaret going boy crazy. <laughs> oh, maybe that's what's happening. That, that's it. <laughs> and a round of applause for the regulars in our chat room. So, uh, speaking about being regular, I, I saw a bottle of prune juice down there on the bar. Uh, is our senior showgirl in the house? Oh, oh well, well, yeah. Yeah, I'm right here. I'm very excited about tonight's show. Do you know why, DJ? Why is that, Mr. Well, well because of Patrick Stewart, my God, he's so handsome in this movie. Oh, my heart, my bosom. Anyway, shall I start? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, that now that things are quote unquote returning to normal, I bet you you're aching to get back to your seat at the end of the bar there. Because, I mean, <laughs> you know, kind of. Oh, my God. Patrick Stewart swooning. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, Missy, will you get yourself downstairs there and we'll talk okay. about your favorite British guy? Okay. Uh, I'm right there. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. Alrighty, here we go. Jeffrey is an aspiring actor working as a waiter as he tries his best to take a bite out of the Big Apple. He's young, he's single, and his hormones are raging. But it's the 90s and sex has become complicated. Enter Steve, the hunk who's been bartending at the events Jeffrey's been working at. Jeffrey is tempted, but he's made a promise to himself to be celibate. And Steve, well, he just wants Jeffrey to take a chance on him. Grab your pride flag, some walking shows, blow up a balloon. It's time for Jeffrey with Steven Weber and Patrick Stewart. Hit it, boys. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies and a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Tommy. Well, you know, Toppy, speaking of uh, summer treats in the chat room, Aunt Tudor is talking about the cicadas that are. Oh, out. now I hear they're big time down there in Baltimore. Yeah. And he's telling us um, that there are some tasty recipes out there for chocolate <laughs> covered and sauteed in butter. <laughs> you know, um, I have not yet had the experience of eating crickets or insects. Uh, fried or otherwise i know it's a thing i know people do it have you had this experience dj no growing up it was more a thing to have the um the tequila inspired lollipops that had a worm in them <laughs> dj no not when you were growing up i mean this is a new thing people are eating people are eating insects 
Because oh, it's the protein of the future, don't you know? Oh, yeah. And, you know, if we're ever to, to leave the ground and uh, walk out there where there's no <clears throat> gravity, we might need to take our food with us. Um, possibly. Anyways, the cicada thing to me is, is amazing. I experienced it once in my life way back in the 60s when I lived in Syracuse. And I was just a kid. And... <clears throat> Of course, I had my hands all over those things. I was touching them. I was pulling them out of their shells. I was holding them in my hands. Today, I, of course, would never touch them with a 10-foot pole. But when I was a kid, sure. Okay. Anyways, so I have had the cicada experience, but not a long time. And apparently, DJ, around here, we're not going to have it. Hmm. I wonder, is it just our climate that it's too much? I, cool? I don't know. The it, It's different. It's just, It just hits different areas at different times, I guess. That's my only explanation. Hmm. Well, speaking of different areas and different times, sir, shall we move on to our next segment? Uh, sure. <laughs> sure. Okay. So one of the things we like to do here is to set the stage. And uh, this film takes place in the mid-90s, 1995. So this is uh, the U.S. in 1995. All right. Hacker Kevin Mitnick is arrested by the FBI and charged with breaking into some of the United States' most secure systems. In Holy Jesus, we had a hacker way back then? Yeah, they even did a movie with Angelina Jolie. In Denver, Stapleton Airport closed and was replaced by the brand spanking new. It looks like, um, you know, a Native American tent out there in the, the far east of the city. Uh, Denver International Airport opened. It's one of the country's largest in 95s when it opened. Also in 95, astronaut Norman Thagard became the first American to ride in space aboard a Russian launch vehicle. You know, we hitch a ride with them a lot these days. Uh, In the U.S. Congress passed the Child Protection and Obscenity Enforcement Act. Hmm, go figure, AOL was right around the corner. (laughs) (laughs) It required producers of pornography to keep records of all models that are filmed or photographed. And all models had to be at least 18 years of age. Hmm. All righty. Well, also in 95, Microsoft released Windows 95. That was well before the divorce. There wasn't even talk of it yet. And uh, first ever full-length computer animated feature film, Toy Story, was released by Pixar and Walt Disney Pictures. No S. That was the first one? The very first one. And then, of course, the Mouse House bought them later. But uh, some people still have jobs, allegedly. Uh, You Uh President Bill Clinton signed the National Highway System Designation Act of 95. It ended the federal speed limit of 55. Back Against to- that, because you know what, DJ? 55 saves lives. That's all I could say. <laughs> so I don't want any arguments. Never mind. I bet I bet you anything that uh, Mr. Smelly here probably spent some of his childhood without a safety belt. Well, no. Do you want to know something, DJ? 
my parents, before there were such thing as baby seats, mm-hmm. you know, there, there was a day when you just throw your kids in the back seat Literally. and put a regular seat belt around them. And everybody thought that's cool. Listen, my parents way back then understood that we needed something more. And they had, don't ask me where it came from, but a seat buckling system that had us all like, yeah, okay. All right, mom and dad, we're ready to go. Go ahead. No, we're fine back here. We're fine. Anyways, I don't know where they got it, but they were early adapters. Oh, so you were a crash test dummy? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, honest to God. Well, let's get into the the celebrity births that year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Back then in 95, uh, Ireland Baldwin. Now, uh, that's the uh, daughter of Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger. Now, you just know with those two, she must be real pretty. But I've never seen a picture of her. Have you? I have. Um, she was a model for a time, and now she's, um, well, I'll let you deliver the punchline. Well, apparently now she's Mrs. Justin Bieber. Wow. Is that fake? I don't know. I, I She's cashing the checks. I guess so. Anyways, I have no clue what she looks like. I'm sure she's very nice looking. But uh, that's our featured birthday for that, for that month. DJ, uh, so this movie came out. And what, what was it competing against when it was out there in the theaters? What other movies were out there? Alrighty, so in 95, and um, technically I was supposed to be finishing high school then, but I got held back a year on account of allergies. Hmm. Wait uh, a minute. Okay, that's another story for another time. I'll, I'm going to ask you about that some other time. Sure. So in the top of the box office in 95, we had Batman Forever. Now, uh, this was starring the second gentleman to become the Dark Knight. Mr. Val Kilmer is uh, number one in the box office that year, starring with Chris Evans. And Jim Carrey was the villain in that one, the Riddler. Okay, wait a minute. Chris Evans, as in Marvel superheroes, Chris Evans? Um, I think, yes. Well... I have to look it up, but he played Robin in the Batman. Okay, Empire. different guy, different guy, different guy, different Lots guy. Chris is 184 million, top of the box office. Number two is a personal favorite. They had Mr. Tom Hanks, Kevin Bacon, and Mr. Gary Shanice. It was the uh, retelling of the true story of Apollo 13, and that brought in yeah. 172 million. To film some of those scenes, they took those actors up into one of them planes that could do a double flip or whatever they did to cancel gravity. Mm-hmm. And that's how they got some of those scenes where they seemed weightless. Oh, and I know that Ron Howard's mother got to be in Apollo 13. She played Jim Lovell's mother. Oh. She was a sweet old lady that said, if anybody could fly a washing machine, her Jimmy could land it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> also, in the top of the box office was the aforementioned uh, first <clears throat> animated film, Toy Story. 
and it brought in 146 million. Now, of course, here at Matinee Minutia, we love the underdog. And Jeffrey, well, it was based on play. So it wasn't going to be one of the top charting films of the year. It was released in the summer. And uh, a little bit better than Jeffrey at the box office was another personal favorite. This had Lori Petty, who was later in A League of Their Own, done by Penny Marshall, and Malcolm McDowell. It was Tank Girl. And oh. uh, I forgot to get the numbers on that, sorry. Yeah, anyways, um, and uh, just a little bit below Jeffrey was a film called A Low Down Dirty Shame. And this got three million so basically paid for itself with not much else all right this was a film starring keenan ivory wayans and will smith's wife jada pinkett smith all right well let's talk about the writer of jeffrey uh it was based this is very important mm -hmm. it's based on a play and this play never saw Broadway, which really, when I think of this material, I, I wonder how the freak did it not hit Broadway, but it didn't. Anyways, <clears throat> it was an <laughs> it was off Broadway and it was written by Paul Rudnick and he also did the screenplay for this movie. So you're, you're talking about the original writer being involved in this movie. And Paul Rudnick was born and raised in New Jersey, uh, a little bedroom community known as Piscataway. <laughs> and he's, uh, Rudnick's written like a dozen plays, uh, including Jeffrey. Uh, he also wrote the most fabulous story ever told. He wrote a musical version of The Devil Wears Prada, which, please, I must see. Uh, uh, by the way, Elton John did the music for that. Uh, he's published four novels. Rudnick has worked as an uncredited script doctor on films, including, you're going to know these kids, The Addams Family. The First Wives Club? Yes. Uh, he's also worked under the pseudonym Joseph Howard for his work on Sister Act. How about that? Which was originally intended, a, if you didn't know, intended as a vehicle for Bette Midler. Now, wouldn't that have been something? Can we not find an alternate reality where we can see the Bette Midler version. I'm fine with the Goldie, not Goldie. <laughs> Whoopi? Whoopi. I'm fine with the Whoopi version. But wouldn't you like to see the Bette Midler version? Anyways, uh, uh, Rudnick went on to get sole writing credit for Adam's Family Values, a sequel in the Adam's Family movies. And he wrote In and Out. Uh, and uh, that was another gay-themed movie with, if I recall, Tom Selleck and who the other? Kevin Klein. Yes, yes. And Debbie Reynolds had a cameo. Did she really? I don't remember that. She played his mommy. Okay, well, she's great at playing mothers. Uh, 
so uh, Rednick went on uh, to have screenwriting furries uh, into things such as uh, Isn't She Great? and the 2004 remake of The Stepford Wives. Woo, 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 woo. Um, uh, he, he had a script called The Coastal Elites, which is a very new thing uh, about socially distancing in the age of uh, the COVID-19. That's how recent he's been working. Um, and that was directed by Jay Roach. And it stars Bette Midler. How about that? I don't know where people are seeing this movie, but I want to see it. I don't know where it's been released or anything. Maybe it has yet to be released. I'm not sure. Oh, well, duh. It's right there in front of my face, DJ. It began airing on HBO in December of, uh, of 2020. Anyway, anyways, uh, September. Oh, my lordy. TJ. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. This movie. Of all the movies we've done in our three years or whatever, no movie had me blubbering my eyes out and laughing than this movie. Oh. <laughs> Honest to God, I was a mess. Oh. I was a mess. You know, the, the first time that I got to watch this, it was a, a little bit of an experiment in my part. No, not that kind. Get your mind out of the gutter. Um, I was living with my sister because I, I, I thought if I lived in the state I was going to go to school for the summer, I could be a resident and get a, you know, a break on my tuition. Well, no, they, they saw between that and said, no, you got to live here for six months. anyways i was watching my sister's home while she was on vacation and she gave me her card because you know in those days we actually had video stores still yes i went to the video store and i rented jeffrey because okay yes captain picard is in this film and it's after next generation was off the air now forget steven weber the cutie boy next door that was in wings I wanted to see Michael Weiss, the the barely clothed guy on the art of the cover. Mm -hmm. So uh, Jeffrey is the first time that I saw a movie that was a theatrical release where two men were allowed to kiss. And we'll just magic. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Isn't that something? I'm lucky that I was able to return the tape after as many times as I freeze framed and slow mode that kiss scene in the gym. Oh my God, DJ. <laughs> I'm so, oh yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. So uh, where we are, as we move into the cast, I'm all stymied here talking about Steve and Michael Weiss. Steven Weber, the cutie pie boy next door. Yes. He was born in Queens, New York City. And his parents were a nightclub performer and a comic. Oh. By the time he was in elementary school, Stephen had already been acting in TV commercials. Don't ask me what. (laughs) And by his mid-20s, he had a series of recurring appearances on the soap opera As the World Turns. As the World Turns. And he was uh, the, the love interest of aspiring then actress Julianne Moore. 
Now in 1990, so getting a little closer to the film here, uh, he just before he uh, was cast in his role of Brian in Wings, he was you know one of a couple of brothers that ran kind of a um, commuter plane in uh, Nantucket, uh, Rhode uh, Island. You familiar with Wings? It just never caught my eye. Never watched Wings. I saw it for a couple of seasons, probably. I think my dad watched it, but it, it's basically Taxi with Airplane. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that ran for seven seasons. But before he took his role of Brian, uh, Stephen Weber was cast as a young John F. Kennedy in Kennedy of Massachusetts, along with Charles Durning. This was a mini series. Ah. And that same year, Weber also starred in the Mel Brooks film, Dracula, Dead and Loving It. Let, let's just, I'm sorry. Mel Brooks, I love you. I love you. But Dracula, Dead and Loving It, no. <laughs> Not so much. And I don't care if it had Wesley Nielsen in it. It was horrible. <laughs> but it, it had the guy from Ghostbusters 2 that was the Wormy Renfield. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, by the time Weber was cast in Jeffrey, he'd been in seven film roles. And just after Jeffrey, he was in a film called Leaving Las Vegas with Nicolas Cage. Leaving Las Vegas. And Leaving Las Vegas was done by a director who'd also worked on Law and Order. So a little bit of history there. And in the next five years, Stephen Weber had been cast in two dozen acting roles. So he kept busy. Yeah, and he's a central character. He's the guy that everything wraps around. And he's the guy, this is one of those movies where Steven Weber, and also a couple, it happens a couple of times with other characters, but mostly with Steven in this movie, um he talks right to the camera so he breaks the fourth wall and he's talking right to you it happens throughout the whole thing i you know it's one of those things where it can really work or not work in this movie it, it works wonderfully and so he'll through the whole thing he, he's just there's scenes that go on and then he'll come and he'll just talk to you, the audience and say, well, you know, about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's pretty, that's pretty terrific. Now, not all the characters do that. It's mainly him. Right. But it is one of the elements that makes you understand how this could have been a play. Cause those, yeah. those type of techniques do work well or better in theater. So. Sure. Now think of, uh, a play that came out before this that did get on Broadway, and that was Torch Song Trilogy. Mm -hmm. Well, Torch Song Trilogy is full of scenes with Harvey Fierstein breaking the fourth wall and talking to the audience. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if there's any relation to that, or he was inspired, the writer was inspired to do that, but at any rate, they did the same thing in this movie. Uh, Patrick Stewart, let's talk about Patrick Stewart, he's in this, he looks great in it, 
Uh, well, we know a lot about him, but I'll just say he was born and raised in England. He began acting in the mid-60s. His first film was in 1975. It was called Hennessy. Rod Steiger was in that along with Lee Remick. And uh, before leaving his, uh, before landing his first series, Stewart had roles in a couple of miniseries. If you remember, oh boy, woo, holy Jesus, uh, a miniseries called North and South. That was way back in 75. Uh, also, he was an I Claudius in 1976. So, psh, you know, he's been around for a long time. Uh, his first series was Mayberry, which I know nothing about it because it happened to be in uh, the UK. And he was a psychiatrist in a small town hospital. Gee, it just seems like it probably was good, but I know nothing about it. And then just prior uh, to beginning his role as Picard on Star Trek The Next Generation, he starred in Lady Jane in 1986 with Hella Bonham Carter. Anyways, <laughs> by the time by the time Stewart got to, to be in uh, Jeffrey, it was his freaking 19th film role. So what the other movie I remember him from DJ? It was a certain fantasy film. Do you know what I'm thinking of? Sword and Fantasy, it was way out there, and he had a central role. Hmm. I'm not quite sure. Maybe somebody in the chat room could. Maybe. I bet, I bet Tommy knows. I bet you anything Tommy knows. Anyways, uh, let's see. Oh, now, uh, before we get too much further, we yeah. are about halfway through our show right. tonight. We are going to step on over here to the concession stand. And I've got that too loud. And uh, Madame Gertie is going to be serving up your favorite treats. You better believe it. I'm right here. Get us some Harvey Wallbangers. We were just talking about Harvey Firestein. Yeah. <laughs> I love Harvey Wallbangers. Oh. Woo, bang, bang. Oh, sorry. Anyway. <laughs> so for your listening enjoyment, we have an interview with Mr. Paul Rudnick, the playwright behind the story of Jeffrey. And this is on PBS with Charlie Rose. And this is in 99, so it's a few years after. Paul Rudnick is here. He is the award-winning author of such plays as Jeffrey, I Hate Hamlet, and The Naked Eye. He's also garnered success for his films, Adam's Family Values, and In and Out. His latest play, The Most Fabulous Story Ever Told, explores an unusual premise. What if God had created Adam and Steve instead of Adam and Eve? Ben Brantley of the New York Times said, line by line, Paul Rudnick may be the funniest writer for the stage in the United States today, and he confirms that reputation with this play. I am pleased to have Mr. Rudnick here on this program once again. Welcome back, sir. Oh, thank you so much. Nice to have you here. 
Now, tell me, in, in your mind, mm -hmm. where did the idea for this come from? Well, it came from that remark that a lot of biblical fundamentalists like to use, where they say, God didn't create Adam and Steve. He created and Adam and that's about Eve. Exactly, and that's about the extent of biblical fundamentalist repartee, I think. <laughs> so I thought, take them at their word. What would have happened if? You know, and yes, I thought about the first two lesbians, Jane and Mabel. Yeah. So, and the story kind of unreeled from there. I also wanted to explore issues of faith and God and why they're actually some of the most provocative questions around. I think sex has become so commonplace, you know, thanks to, to Monica and the cigar, that now religion seems one of the only taboos left, one yeah. of the only sort of socially explosive questions. Now, what are the explosive questions? Well, I think if you were at a cocktail party in Manhattan or anywhere else for that matter, and you ask people about their sex lives, they would have no problems. You would get their full therapist's readouts, all far too much information. And then I did this, and then he did that. Exactly. But if you ask them, do you believe in God, I think people would become very uncomfortable and perhaps embarrassed and probably very funny because I think it's just, it's a very intimate question. And so what do you say when they ask you, do you believe in God? I say you'll just have to see the most fabulous story ever told. <laughs> my answers don't come cheap. Here is my theory. Your, your God is the theater. I mean, some sense that that has been your God. Oh, absolutely. And even beyond that comedy, I think when I get to stand at the back of a, of a theater and hear an audience roar at, at especially the brilliant cast of this play, it's a transcendent experience. I think that is as close to God as I ever need to be. It is, it is such, it's why live theater will never die. You get that sense where the audience shoots the performers in the play even higher and you think, my God, these are human beings at their best. But I stole this from one of these profiles of you, so here it comes. What are you going to do when St. <laughs> Peter says, uh, by the way, Mr. Rudding, I have a cassette here where you said you didn't believe in God. Well, it's funny. I was thinking about this because Jerry Falwell the other day also said that the Antichrist is alive and among us today. And he is. And he said that he was a Jewish person. <laughs> and so, of course, I was terribly flattered. <laughs> <laughs> and then Falwell, I think... That's funny. <laughs> oh, so by default here, Toppy, you have led me to talk about the heartthrob. I'll have to go yes. grab my, my smelling salts. Uh, you know, even I uh, was entrapped by this heartthrob. Uh, and, you know, it's funny. I didn't know it then, but I've since seen in him in other things, not knowing he was in Jeffrey. Also, before we go, uh, Janet, uh, our friend Janet from another planet, says <clears throat> uh, that uh, indeed the Sword and Sorcery movie with Patrick Stewart was Excalibur. That's absolutely right. Hmm. And in the chat room, we have a new person who's raised their head uh we have veritable virgo who's decided to join us tonight oh veritable virgo vv i like to call him vv uh oh i'm so happy he's here that's wonderful thank you uh, thank you for coming vv yeah so mr michael t for terrific <laughs> why <laughs> <laughs> he's a chicago native oh 
Isn't there a show about firemen? Can we get him in that? Well, <laughs> there's lots of, you know. <laughs> no, he's a Chicago native and he attended the famous Second City Acting School. So where a lot of those uh, famous comics like John Candy went, that's where he went. His first recurring role was on Days of Our Lives. As By the way, mm-hmm. Can you just see him? Of course, he plays a doctor on Days oh. of Our Life. Can you just see that? I mean, you can just picture him. I, I, I'd like to travel back in time to 85 and be, a, you know, a, a walk-on role to be in the hospital. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, please, doctor, help me. Help me. Come, cl- come closer. <laughs> <laughs> During this hospital gown. <laughs> and he starred as Dr. Michael Horton from 85 to 90. So he had five seasons of wow. playing doctor. <laughs> wow. His first film role was in the 88 TV movie called Take My Daughters, Please, which started. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> star- Golden Girl, Rue McClanahan, and... I don't even want to know. I know. If if Rue McClanahan being in it wasn't good enough, and Audra Lindley, who was Mrs. Roper. Good Lord. I know, like a compass near north. Okay, DJ, I vote right here that we do this TV movie in a future (laughs) episode, okay? Because now... Now I'm hooked. All right, go ahead. And then Weiss starred in a 91 remake of the your favorite 60s Dark Shadows. Yeah. And funny, I saw it and I don't remember him, but but that's fine. Anyways, go ahead. (laughs) This was only his second film role at the time. And the first was, uh, well... To hear the title, you don't have to wonder what kind of film it was. It was softcore. It was called Angel 4 Undercover, because, you know, where else would they be? (laughs) And uh, he had guest appearances. Well, that film had guest appearances by none other than Roddy. Wait wait a minute. I'm sorry, DJ. Mm -hmm. So Angel 4 was was a soft porn movie. I, I, yeah, if you look at the art and, for and, this. And, and Roddy McDowell was in it. Yeah, and it also, <laughs> <laughs> you talk about your houses on Haunted Hill, huh? Yeah. Uh, then we also have uh, up and coming uh, Babylon Five star Peter Jurassic was also in this Angel Four thing. Uh, in the in the year after the theatrical release of Jeffrey, Michael Weiss was cast in the lead of The Pretender as Jared, the lead, and he was the mastermind with the ability to impersonate any profession. Yeah. This show ran four seasons and inspired two follow-up movies. I was just glad I got to see him wearing a leather jacket every week. <laughs> <laughs> and since the conclusion of The Pretender, Weiss has had a series of guest roles in both TV and film. He uh, most notably was in the second Sex in the City film, and he has maintained a career in voice acting. Now, in his personal life, Weiss is an environmental activist, and Weiss served on the board of directors for Earth Communications Office. Now, uh, I'm not quite sure what that means, but he also had one of the first all-electric cars in the world and was a pioneer wow. test driver of the first hybrid vehicle, the Toyota Prius, years wow. before it hit the market. So I'm sure Michael Weiss knows Ed Begley Jr. All righty. 
All right. I, I, I don't know the connection, but I, uh, but that's fine. He's, he's uh, a, he's a big earth nerd. Oh, okay. Very good. DJ, let's talk about <clears throat> where we were when we sort of came out and what both of us, you in particular came out in the age of AIDS uh, with my age uh, being 59 in August, you would think, well, Tampa, you've, you know, you were around before AIDS. But no, I, I wasn't because I was a late bloomer. I virtually came out and had my first sexual experience with a man right when AIDS was going down the hiv hit the airwaves right after i had my first sexual experience and it scared the living bejesus out of me because i'd just had a gay experience and i was convinced obviously i must have aids well that went on in various degrees for several more years and it's a different story but holy fuck anyways so that was me mm-hmm. we're talking like 82 83 my first late blooming experience aids is boom right there where was it for you what when you came out when you became sexually active where where was a where, where was hiv and aids for you well, it was a quite uh, more heightened experience in my environment because I was raised by two conservative parents, one who was church going, also who happened to be a career nurse. So, um, you know, mom voted for Reagan and historically Reagan did nothing to improve the lives of gay people or those affected by HIV AIDS until perhaps his second term in office and uh if that even so uh i have it on good authority my siblings have told me that when i came out my parents were afraid for me because even though it was after this um you know peak of the the uh the crisis because in the in the time frame of jeffrey things had just started changing and we'll talk about that in a moment with the the medications that were available to the community. You know, when when you live out in the middle of nowhere in the haystack like I did, uh, it's just all ignorance because, well, I had to go to college before I could start dating even. Yeah. So, you know, from in my experience, dating until I came out and was on my own was let's get a motel room. Because even if nothing's happening, that's the only way we can even spend time together. Okay. I actually had the privilege, if you could call it that, my school deciding one year after the other that this was the year you're going to get sex education class. Oh. So in my experience, I got to repeat the class because... The next year they decided, no, that was too early. Now it's going to be this grade. Jesus. (laughs) I was scarred. And yet I have seen since become aware of propaganda films that were available during wartime 
that probably put those tactics to shame. Uh, I, I, I have lived to see a brighter day. <laughs> All right. I, I want to point out to the chat room, veritable Virgo. And once again, I, I just want to say that I'm not able to see the chat room and what you guys are saying. I'm very sorry about that. Normally I can't, but veritable Virgo is involved in this whole scene in ways that, that I, I couldn't describe. I just know that this is his, I'll just say for lack of a better word, his line of work. Mm. And it's been for a long time. So VV, if you have anything to put in the chat room, you know, any information that just comes to you, please do, because you are a resource that's important. Anyways, let's talk about where the characters in the movie are. Uh, AIDS, uh, HIV, AIDS has been around for a while. We've got, on the one hand, our protagonist, our wonderful protagonist, who talks to us on screen, who's just decided it's just too f- complicated. Having sex, it's just too and he's decided, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm just done. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be celibate. And that's just the way it's going to be. Because that's the only way I can navigate the world right now. And then, of course, right then, is where he meets this incredibly handsome guy. <laughs> <clears throat> and we don't know it at first, but it's revealed sometime down the road after they're sort of interested in each other he says by the way i hope this isn't complicated but i have aids mm-hmm. so i don't know i i want to i want to talk about this because i don't know about you dj uh, but i i had that happen to me i i was going with a fella who kind of rocked my world and then, <laughs> hi, I found out uh, he was HIV positive. He'd been living with AIDS for a number of years. Mm-hmm. I've had this experience. And it wasn't anything like this movie. Just let me say that off the bat. Right. I, didn't, I didn't have any of this angst and anxiety. I just simply went along with it. And I understood what we were doing. We were having safe sex. And... Just in my world, it didn't interfere. Okay, um, but but this experience in the movie happened to a, a hell of a lot of people. What uh, you know, I don't know if you feel comfortable talking about. It. Did anything like this? What was your experience, if any, with HIV positive people? Well, I had a unique experience because. Um, during some of my travels, I spent nearly a decade living in Colorado. And at the time, it was the early 2000s. But um, my other half and I decided to volunteer in basically a um, a, a study. And um, the concept was that if you volunteer your time and you participate in regular testing, of course, you're you're compensated. But the idea was they wanted to see how people's choices were affected by education. 
So, um, and it gets weird in the medical realm because in order to um, eliminate the possibility of singling people out, they don't call people gay or straight. In the lingo that they use in the questionnaires, they say men who have sex with men. So through all those questionnaires, they, they, they basically try to see if you are making more informed decisions based upon the situation or the environment. But uh, through my experience living in a bigger city like Denver, as opposed to living out in the haystack, I was able to be around people who were more informed. And it wasn't until I lived in Denver that I actually was able to attend my first pride parade. I was, oh, I want to say I was like 22, 23 at the time. So um, I, I envy, you know, the people who have come down the path since me, the younger generation, you know, they, they live in a world where if their family is open-minded enough, at least, they're not going to have to come out. It's just going to be who you're in love with. But dialing it back to interacting with people who may or may not be HIV positive. I had a period where after I broke up with my ex, I was dating and there was a, a guy that I met who I was rather interested in. He was a computer nerd and I just thought this is this is really going good. And um, we hadn't quite decided that we were going to be dating yet. And apparently he didn't feel that he was ready to date. But he did tell me that he was HIV positive. So in his situation, it was interesting to me just looking back on things because here I thought to myself, I'm somewhat of a hillbilly and I'm a little bit ignorant. And I wonder what it would be like if I said, yes, I'll go out with you. I don't care what your status is. We get along. And it just so happened to be that this person may not have spent that long in their own headspace to think about, okay, I'm positive, but this is no longer, you know, a death sentence. How am I going to live with it? This person <clears throat> just simply wasn't comfortable with the idea, maybe, of being a quote-unquote normal person and let's date. Yeah, and I just want to say that that, that was the course of over the years where and, and, and it, it took freaking forever mm. to get to this point where if you had hiv if you were full-blown aids or whatever it took forever to get to the point where there was a chance there was a chance you were going to live through it and then there became more of a chance they got the drugs right they got the cocktail right they got things rolling Finally, by the way, have you noticed how with this great virus, terrible tragedy we've had that afflicted everyone in the human race? Have you noticed how fast they came up with a, a vaccine? Okay, nobody was giving a about a vaccine for people who have AIDS. Nobody. Yeah, and and. Uh um, to hinge upon that point, Toppy, one of the people who has been involved with the research that did change the tide for people who were HIV positive, Dr. David Ho, he was a Taiwanese American, and he worked for Cedar sinai in Los Angeles. Now, his institution has actually 
participated in some of the research that made the vaccinations possible for COVID-19. Okay. Anyways, boy, by the way, emotional as I'm getting right now, this is what Jeffrey made me today because I was a blubbering mess watching this movie. And at the same time, laughing at the lines the characters had patrick stewart had many of them there were so many good lines oh good in this movie thanks to the writer i mean he's the guy that came up with them jesus the (laughs) the lines in this movie holy god toppy i want to quote one of patrick stewart's lines and then before we give a preview of what's to come i want to read some of the people that appeared in this movie because there's a yeah there's a lot yeah let's find out who was in this movie so one of the best lines in the film was towards the end and i won't spoil anything for you but there's a scene in a hospital with patrick stewart's character and he's telling the lead the main character jeffrey that his lover Darius thought that Jeffrey was one of the saddest people he ever knew. And just the fact that Darius had a terminal illness with his AIDS diagnosis, yeah, he, he lived life to the fullest. By the way, this, this point in the movie that DJ's describing is gut-wrenching. Mm-hmm. Uh, go ahead, DJ. So, and... Uh, it's such that Patrick Stewart used this script and those scenes as his inspiration for a scene in Star Trek Generations where <gasps> yes, his character learns that his family has died in a fire. Yeah, apparently to do that scene, because it coincided with Jeffrey and the script he was reading, he was so moved by the script of Jeffrey that to produce those tears in that movie, he invoked in his head the script for Jeffrey. And that's, if, if you don't know, that is the scene where he reveals to, I think, his counselor that his nephew died in a fire. Yeah. We have a ton of people who had cameos in this film now. Part of the uh, one of the things I just want to make a slight mention about is um, in the 90s, we had some difficulty with telling these types of stories because we didn't have as many out gay actors. So many of the people playing the pivotal roles in this film were not people who were gay in their private lives. However, the single person in the cast who was also a member of the original play actor brian bat yeah, and he's the only guy that came from the original cast that appeared in the movie right and uh, didn't happen with anybody else mm-hmm. and brian bat who played darius which was um, patrick stewart's character's lover and a wonderful character i loved him you might have recognized brian bat more recently from his role in the Mad Men tv series on tnt yes yes so, Toppy, um, what is the next person we want to mention that had a cameo in this? Well, I mean, there were so many. Uh, they snuck in there, but Olymp- Olympia Dukakis has to be, like, I think towards the beginning, <laughs> like, holy Jesus. Because this movie captures 
quite a bit of the queer experience. It's not just gay men. It it didn't it 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 had uh, it had something to say about much more. And Olympic Takakis was this mother who had just had her son uh, transition to a female, and that it was amusing and very funny uh, and uh, very memorable. And you know, they just let these cameos in, right? Like you're not expecting them. Uh, Kevin Nealon from Saturday Night Live fame was another one. He played <laughs> this guy with a horrible toupee. Oh, uh, uh, Patrick Stewart, who famously forgo wearing a toupee yeah. for Star Trek, is looking at him and he's like, no, it does work. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Patrick Stewart's character was so gay. You just don't want to believe. Anyways, uh, who else? Now, the guy who interviewed Jeffrey for his apartment in the beginning yeah. was none other than David Thornton. Now, he's a soap opera actor, but later on, a few years after this, he married Cindy Lauper. All right. All right. Now, I, I know we're missing somebody. Olympia Dukaskis, Kevin Neal. There were a number of them. What are we missing? Nathan Lane. Oh, my God. How could I forget him? Mm-hmm. Now that was a kind of crucial, a crucial turning point in the movie. Yes, you have to have faith and say three Hail Marys and send me his shorts. Where are the Polaroids? Um, oh my god, that was so screwed up because he plays a Catholic priest or something, <laughs> and he's like falling for not falling for, but attacking the gay protagonist. Anyways. And all he and they, they had the best line to he 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 takes him back to the storage room and he says all I wanted was a quickie. Oh my God! There was he had Nathan Lane had so many lines in there, <sighs> just like that. Folks, you cannot believe. Okay, this movie. How do one explain it? Had a lot to say about a lot of things. Uh, it wasn't just about HIV. It wasn't just about AIDS. And I, this writer, damn, he got in a lot of shots about a lot of things. That I, I do not understand how this didn't make it to Broadway. Why didn't? Well, why? I think it was timing. If it came out. A few years later, it might have had a more serious chance, because if you think about the mid-90s, I don't even know if people like Magic Johnson had been, you know, um, acknowledged in public that he was HIV positive. Yeah, I yeah, I don't remember when that happened, but I remember when that happened. It was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Anyways, who else? Uh, oh, Kathy who else was in there? Kathy Najimy. In Hocus Pocus, yes, yes. What did she play? What did she play? She played typically her. She was the woman who went to the the uh, self help seminar. Yeah, Yeah, she was ditzy. She was weird, and she she made acrylic booties for the speaker's baby. (laughs) I don't even know. I don't even know. But that was funny. 
And then we also have Ethan Phillips. Now, Ethan Phillips, um, by any sci-fi fan, would be known for playing Neelix on Star Trek Voyager, which he got cast in that same year as Jeffrey. And he also starred in John Candy's last film in 95, Wagons East. All right. Anybody else? Sigourney Weaver. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, duh. Okay. She was the uh, you know the lady with the book to sell, and yes. of course she played. That must have been fun for her because it's a very different part from who she is in public life. She's a very open and minded and diverse. Yeah. Person. But let's talk about the character she played, DJ. This is the kind <laughs> of character, holy fuck, that we're we're involved with to this day. They dispel false information they're all about selling their next book they're all about motivational speaking but the information they give out is is so so and Sigourney Weaver delivered that Uh, (laughs) chapter 10 cheap waiters (laughs) god Jesus God. So, Toppy, uh, before we go ahead and pick um, the next program we're going to discuss, just some quick sidelines here. Yes. yes, In 95, it was an important time, not only for those who were struggling with HIV and AIDS, but uh, in the world of entertainment. Now, just three years after Jeffrey, TV would usher in some of gay firsts with the premiere will and grace and the and of course um you know the lead character that's not played by someone who's out but uh sean hayes the best friend he's certainly an out actor and the fourth season of ellen featured her famous coming out that that eventually spelled the end of her series but uh just a year after that uh was or sorry just a year after in 97 tom Selleck played a gay newscaster in in and out with kevin klein we were just talking about it and yes yes and by uh the same writer right yeah he wrote, he, yeah yeah and then most importantly in my my realm in 95 talk about sci-fi Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the latest installment in the franchise. They aired their fourth season episode, Rejoined. Now, this is a famous episode because the science officer, Jedzia Dax, or her people live long lives because they, they pass part of themselves on to another person. Well, they featured an all-woman kiss, and Jedzia met her past life wife and there's a taboo in their culture you're not supposed to reconnect where you left off but they did yeah. they had an on-screen kiss and <clears throat> i've been uh, told by my siblings that uh after i had come out and i had left home uh, apparently it it uh it changed some minds i may my father actually thought differently after he saw oh. that oh that's it, interesting it was about t- people not genders okay well oh well that's interesting i i uh, a lot of the star trek in next generation and beyond i felt skirted around cleverly gay queer issues and made them palatable for audiences which god bless writers they did 
but when you look back, you think, really, really, is this the best we could do? But anyways, I acknowledge that these little steps <laughs> into revealing queer concepts to audiences were important and are still important. So without our allies, we wouldn't have gotten this far. Thank you. Well said. Well said. I, I cannot tell you of all the movies we've done here. I've never been simultaneously devastated and laughing at the same time as this movie. Uh, folks, if you have not seen this movie, Jeff, I really recommend that you do. You're going to laugh and you're going to cry. And I thought I had seen this before. I thought I'd seen this years ago, but but I hadn't. And damn, I'm glad I saw this. I'm really glad I saw this. And I, I can't say enough about this movie. Of all the movies we've done, I can't say enough about this one. I just can't even say. Anyways. You know, this film was several firsts for me. As I said before, it was my first you know, um, screen kiss between two men in a movie that was a theatrical release. And uh, I dare say that this is probably the first time I bought a soundtrack to a movie. <laughs> and, oh, uh, yeah. Really? I remember a little about the soundtrack. <laughs> I, I was fortunate enough at the time that uh, in these days, the campus that I attended actually had a bookstore, you know, real print <laughs> and they had oh my God. physical media. I know it's riveting. I bought the CD soundtrack of Jeffrey and um, it helped me through some moment of, moments of angst. The song that uh, Steve danced to when Jeffrey couldn't accept that he was positive. Oh. Uh, that was actually a breakup song for me for a while. Wow. We're going to briefly talk about some other things you might enjoy. If I you... got a good one. I got a good one. Well, if you'd like, sir, you can go first this time. So Jeffrey had this conceit where the, the characters, particularly the main character, talked straight to you, straight to the audience. And it reminded of another movie that wasn't that that was actually around the same time, but it dealt with completely heterosexual issues. And that movie, Shirley Valentine, this came out in 1989. It's a, it was from the UK. It was a British romantic comedy. And it was directed by Lewis Gilbert. Folks, if you liked a movie that was told in this style, you're going to love Shirley Valentine. I sure did when I saw it way back then. And it's another movie that was developed from a play and in which the titular character actually came from the play to be in the movie. And it was... She told the story of how, well, life was a little dull. And then she had this great sexual adventure in Greece. Anyways, it's lovable. It's charming. If you like Jeffrey, you will love Shirley Valentine. So watch it. 
Mm, okay. I would like to suggest, if you enjoyed, Jeffrey, something in a similar vein that came out a few years later. It was a frustrating watch because you saw these two men who met up. One was a go-go dancer and the other one was just kind of a average Joe. It's a film called Trick. And oh. uh, I do believe that it, it treats us with the on-screen debut of Miss Coco Peru. Oh my God, yes. And uh, another film that I would recommend from 96, so a little closer to Jeffrey's time frame, is a Australian film called Beautiful Thing. And it's about mm. a shy teenager who was bullied at school. He meets his neighbor who's having a rough time at home. And uh, there may have been some abuse, but basically the experience brings them together and they find out that what they feel for each other is more than mere friendship. Was that also based on a play? I do believe so. Okay. I want to say, don't ask me how this happened in my life, but I freaking think I saw the play hmm. way before this came out. And amazing. Amazing. Okay, well, Toppy, we are uh, at the end of our show here, and we did have a couple of folks that snuck in under the wire. Our dear really? friend, Cronehaven, was able to join us uh, in a few minutes. The ever-mysterious Cronehaven. Yeah, so uh, if you will do me a favor, sir. Now, we are a celebrated venue here. We've had many a splendid thing in our past. We were a, uh, a place for vaudeville, and we even yes. had a magician here once. Toppy, yes. grab that bag of coins for me, if you will, sir. That damn magician left magic coins, folks. That's all I want to say. That's all you got to know. Okay, here you go, DJ. Here's one of those freaking magic coins. All right. Okay, so next up on Matinee Minutia, and this is going to be on Friday, June 18th. It is an early to mid-90s comedy musical. Two drag performers and a transgender woman travel across the desert to perform their unique style of cabaret. This stars Mr. Terrence Stamp and that guy from the Matrix movies, Hugo Weaving. <laughs> <laughs> Most famously, Green is not your color. Ah. Ventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Oh my time. god. I love this movie. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, a little bit of a road trip through the outback. <laughs> so in the uh, the ways of the old radio days, sir, let's yeah. say good night, Gracie. Oh, f me. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, good night, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our program is live every other Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Go to univazpods.net, click the tower for audio, enter Discord for chat. You can find this show wherever you listen to podcasts. Tweet us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Join our Facebook group. Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a future show or just want to message us? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com.
has been an Alibug production. Chubb's gone wild with Matt and Tom. Speak up. The Smellcast by Tommy Smelly. Be heard. Tastes like burning with Tim and James. Unique voices in podcasting. The Shy Life Podcast with me, Paul the Shy Yeti.